Amen. Please be We'll look at verses 1 through 6 this morning. The text is also printed in the bulletin. 1 John 2, 1 through 6. Um, so I know I've mentioned this before. Uh, we, we should always be thinking about how to uh, give an apology, give a defense of the hope that we have within us. It means uh, looking for ways to share the gospel that... Uh, you know, the gospel makes a change in our lives, and it, um, it helps us to live in a different way, and that, that way should be slightly noticeable to other people, and they should ask something about it, and um, that's kind of a basic understanding of uh, what that verse means, always be ready to give it a defense for the hope that's within you, but um, one way to initiate conversations like that is to ask people, uh, you know, it has to come at the right time in the conversation, of course, but... Um, Ask people what they think Christianity is. It's a great question. Um, always starts a good conversation. What do you think Christianity is? Uh, people always assume that they know, um, I think, but they often discover that maybe, in fact, they don't. Uh, they don't know the answer to that question. Um, and people who have been Christians for a long time might have difficulty articulating an answer to that question. I don't use that question just to stump people, uh, just to show them up, but to talk about the unique, kind of wonderful, maybe even startling aspects, uh, the nature of Christianity. So what do you think Christianity is? The very short answer is it's, uh, it's a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Right, the very short answer to what is Christianity is it's a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And even that takes a bit of unpacking to really understand it, but the main point that I want us to think about for our purposes this morning uh, is that Christianity is relational, right? It's about that relationship that we have with God through Jesus. First and foremost, it's a personal relationship with God. So the fact that it is a real personal relationship entails certain things. Um, just like any relationship entails things, relationships mean that there are two parties involved, right? And there's some connection that exists between them. There's not just me, myself, and I, right? It's me and somebody else, um, there's some kind of connection that's established that has certain characteristics. Uh, relationships entail certain behaviors. Uh, relationships have influence on our actions in certain ways. Uh, for example, you know, if you're in a marriage relationship, that's one unique uh, kind of relationship to be in. If you're in that relationship, then it's meant to be characterized by things like mutual service as an expression of your love and your mutual knowledge of each other and your valuing of the other and uh, the connection that exists in that unique way. So uh, that's pretty intuitive, right? Our, our behavior is supposed to be shaped by the, the nature of this relationship. Um, it's pretty intuitive that at, at some level, even with regard to all kinds of relationships, uh, you're in a relationship with another person, it means somehow it changes the way that you act. Right? Um, if you were entirely unaffected in your actions, if you were entirely unaffected in your behaviors, then it shows there's probably not really a relationship there. Um, these are simple observations. They're pretty basic realities in human life, in all of our relationships. Uh, but John is writing his letter to make sure we've actually got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if we do have that relationship, then to assure us that we do, right? To, to help us to know that we know him is the kind of language that he uses. Uh, but he does that. He assures us of the reality of that relationship uh, in a few different ways, and he wants to test that reality uh, by pointing out um, 
for example, the things that serve as indicators, as a normal test of the kind of claim that you have a relationship with somebody, how does it change your life, right? Um, and so in our passage this morning, he's talking about our behavior generally uh, being an indicator, being a test of the reality of our relationship with God. So the three things um, I want to talk about this morning is kind of talking about behavior. Um, think through the Bible synonym for that is our obedience, right? Uh, so our obedience, what we're going to talk about this morning. So the three things, the nature of our obedience first, and then second, the necessity of our obedience, and then third, I, since I had those first two ends, I tried really hard to do the alliterative thing, right? Um, and it, it, was, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. So the nexus, the nexus of are of true obedience. That's to say the center, the focal point, the path, the, you know, the heart, right? The nexus. Um, try going through the, uh, the thesaurus and finding words for that that start with N. But um, the nature, the necessity, and the nexus of true obedience. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. Let's pray and then we'll read from 1 John. Father, we pray that, um, as always, that you would help us to understand your word, that you would give us particular clarity this morning as um, our behaviors are very confusing to us, and uh, the way that we should behave is often very confusing to us, and we're prone to um, misunderstand the role that our obedience plays in our relationship with you. So we pray that you would help us to understand your word this morning uh, by the power of your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So first, the nature of true obedience. John uh, says several things in this passage that make us think, I mean, he's talking largely about obedience, that behavior aspect of the Christian life. But uh, he says things like, I'm writing these things to you, verse 1, so that you may not sin. Uh, a few times, Jesus in the Gospels would um, say things like, go and sin no more, <laughs> right? I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Uh, he's talking about keeping his commandments, keeping his word, walking in the same way in which Jesus walked, uh, right there at the end in verse 6. So it's a few different ways to say that he's writing about our obedience, and obedience is a relational concept, right? Obedience is a relational concept. It's a relational activity. It might seem too obvious to mention, right? But the definition of obedience kind of requires that there are two parties, right? It's the one who is obeying, and the one who is being obeyed. So the Christian obeys God, one person obeys another, 
as a feature of this kind of unique kind of relationship that we're in, right? Uh, the relationship entails that obedience. So uh, Christian holiness, Christian sanctification, growth in holiness um, or obedience, it isn't some sort of, you know, a philosophical virtue or an abstract purity, uh, an impersonal kind of just conceptual standard. It's not some nebulous morality. It's not just a system of ethics. Um, Christian behavior isn't something that you do just because it's right. Uh, because it makes you a good person. It's not something you do just in and of itself for its own sake because it's the right thing to do. Uh, Christian, Christian obedience is not that. We're talking about obedience. Christian behavior is what you do because of your relationship with God. Right? It reflects this particular kind of relationship. God is the one to be obeyed, and he's given his word, he's given his orders, so our obedience is responding to him in a way that our relationship with him entails, in a way that uh, corresponds properly with our relationship to him. Right? Um, if, if God didn't exist, you wouldn't do Christian obedience. Right? You wouldn't just live in a certain way because it's the right thing to do. If you weren't in a relationship with him, you wouldn't do Christian obedience. Right? You wouldn't obey him. So uh, our obedience is doing what he's said. It's keeping his word. It's keeping his commandments, it says, his law. Uh, and in, in terms that we used last week, it means saying yes to God. Right? Just kind of basic, kind of boil it down. It means saying yes to God. And in summary, it means love. It means loving God and loving your neighbor. So there's a sense in which our love is obedience. Love is what we are supposed to do because it's how we respond to God. It comes from our relationship with him. Uh, someone who is in relationship with God loves. That's the same as saying someone who's in relationship with God obeys. Right. Um, <clears throat> so, as it says in verse 6, we're to walk in the same way Jesus walked. Our obedience is Christ-likeness. Uh, it's, it's, in a sense, it's imitation of Christ. Uh, it's Christ-likeness, it's being like him because he loved uh, as his obedience to God. That was his obedience to his Father, was his love. That was how he walked. That's kind of another way of saying that's how he lived. His life was in obedience to God. Jesus did everything his Father told him to do. He loved perfectly. He loved always. Um, he was in the most absolutely pure relationship with God. And, that, and in that relationship... He obeyed. He loved God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor as himself, uh, which is a remarkable thing to consider um, when you think that he is God, and he loved his neighbor as he would love himself. Right? So um, he kept all of God's word. He kept all of God's commandments, and he told us in, um, in John 14, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? If you love me, it's relational language, you will keep my commandments. You'll obey, right? So this is the nature of true obedience. It's, it's wrapped up with love, right? It's, it's love that comes from being in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The nature of our obedience is this love, and that love can express itself. This relational love can express itself in many different ways through helping one another in the church or outside of the church, uh, sharing the gospel with people, uh, disciplining our children is love. Uh, talking in a friendly manner with strangers on the street 
uh, is love, um, listening to your elders with respect, returning lost items to their owners, uh, driving courteously and legally, serving in the nursery, giving your employees Sundays off, uh, fulfilling God's commandments in a multitude of ways. That, that's love. That's, that's obedience. That comes from our relationship with God. That obedience, that love, comes from having a relationship with God through Jesus. Um, in Christianity, it's not just some abstract set of rules to be kept for their own sake. Obedience is a relational activity. It's the kind of activity that's appropriate to the kind of relationship we have with God. We don't relate to God as equals. It's, uh, it's not exactly like a marriage relationship in that sense or other kind of uh, human relationships that we enjoy. Uh, we don't relate to him as his equals, but as his creatures. And by his grace, we don't relate to him as enemies. We don't relate to him as people who are trying to gain his favor because of his grace, but as those who have been freely loved, we've been given all favor already so that we respond to him. That's how we relate to him is in a responsive way, in a humble way, in a thankful and faithful way. Right? Um, so we relate to him with obedient love or loving obedience. Right? Um, that's, what his, that's what our relationship with him entails. For example, it's love to God. It's love to our spouses. It's love to other people when we don't commit adultery, when we don't look at internet porn. Right? It's not just being a good person in and of yourself, doing what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. You know, that's not it. It's not just being a good person, whatever that means. Um, it's obedient love. It's loving obedience. It's love to God and to those who are dear to us right? to be faithful. It's love to God, it's love to our friends when we don't covet our friends' wealth, when we don't manipulate them in order to benefit from it. Right? That's love. It's relational. Uh, it's love to God, it's love to strangers when we work in order to, to have something to share, when we're generous. Those aren't just qualities or virtues that we should have in and of ourselves. That, that's something that comes from our relationship with God. It's relational. So the key aspect here about the nature the nature of true biblical obedience is that it's relational. It's what you do when you're in a relationship with God through Jesus. And so second, let's talk about the necessity of true obedience, the necessity of it. True obedience is something that you necessarily do when you're in relationship with God, when you're united to him in that specific kind of defined, distinct, unique kind of relationship that you have. Obedience is what, it just happens. It's necessary. Uh, so John's writing to make sure we've actually got that relationship to, to assure us of the reality of it, if it is a reality, and our obedience is a sort of a necessary indicator of that relationship. If we don't obey God, it says we can't be assured of our relationship with him. If we do obey God, it's an indicator that we are actually saved and we take some assurance from that. It says in verse 3, by this we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. It's to say we can have assurance about the relationship that we have with God if we're keeping his commandments. Now John was addressing in his setting a real historical problem of people who were claiming to know God, but they were lying in this way or that. We've looked at that the last couple of weeks. Um, their actions, their beliefs didn't line up with that claim. And so here he's, he's saying there's people who claim to know God their actions betray them. Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
So their actions were inconsistent with that claim to be in a relationship with God. Uh, Because as we've seen, relationship with God entails our obedience, that relational activity. Um, Hosea chapter 4, the prophet writes, There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. So there's no relationship. There's swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. There's breaking all of these of the Ten Commandments, right? There's no relationship, and you see it because there's all these commandments broken. So you'd be lying about your relationship with him if you claim to know him, yet harbored secret enslaving sins. You'd be... um, Lying, if you claim to know him, but you have these habitual sins, or you didn't think it very important to address your angry outbursts. You didn't think that was important. Or uh, your whole life was characterized by selfish complaining and gossip. You claim to know him, but those things are what characterizes you, or you kind of brush them aside, don't think they're that important, or you try to hide them. Um, those things kind of don't go with each other. <laughs> the claim to know God um, entails what relationships entail, which is obedience in this case. It's because of the relational nature of true obedience that it's a necessary indicator or a test of the reality of the relationship. Right? Um, so if you really do know him, you will live like you know him with loving obedience, at least to some degree. Um, So such obedience, such love, is um, the way that maybe theologians understand this or talk about it is it's a necessary fruit of our salvation. Obedience is a necessary fruit of our salvation, of having a real relationship with God by his grace. So when I'm talking about the necessity of true obedience, I mean like a logical necessity, not a conditional necessity. It's a, it's, uh, your obedience isn't a condition to having a relationship with God. It's not a prerequisite to having a relationship with God. Um, you've, you know, as if you have to do these things in order for you to get into that relationship. Right? That's, that's kind of a conditional necessity. That's not what we're talking about. Your obedience is an inevitable result of your being in a relationship with God by his grace. That's how it's necessary. Um, it's like necessary like picking up a rock and letting it go from a height, uh, it's pretty necessary then that it would fall, right? That's that's the kind of uh, logical necessity that happens unavoidably when you let go of that rock that it falls. It's a very simple illustration to talk about this, but obedience to God is kind of like a a kinetic necessity, right? Um, Truly coming into personal contact with God through Jesus Christ when that truly happens in your life, it will certainly set your life in motion in a new trajectory. In a new trajectory. And that's why John sets it forth as a test to verify your claim to know God. And if you pass the test, then you can have assurance about that relationship. That's why if there's evidence of true, loving, relational obedience, keeping God's commandments, doing what he says, um, then you can be encouraged that you really do have a relationship with God. You can know that you are saying yes to God because you're saying yes to his commandments uh, at a deep level. You're saying yes to his word, uh, yes to the law of love. Um, 
And Jesus said in John 15, um, you know, this passage, if you go uh, to John's gospel, you read John 14, 15, 16, uh, there's a lot of similar language that Jesus uses in those chapters. It's beautiful chapters too. Um, But he says in John 15, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That you bear fruit um, and so prove to be in relationship with me. So bearing that necessary fruit of obedience is what proves us to be in that relationship. Um, So third, uh, the nexus, sorry, of true obedience, the nexus. Since obedience is necessary to show, to prove the relationship that we're supposed to have with God, it's pretty important, right? I mean, obedience is important. You've got to see that to some degree in your life. And that leads a lot of people, it leads a, probably a majority of Christians and a lot of uh, good pastors, well-meaning pastors, to think about obedience in a way that amounts to a distortion of it or an overemphasis. Right? Uh, and I'll explain what I mean. The fact that it's necessary in terms of, like, you've got to see it if you want to know that you have a relationship with God, because that just happens when you do. The fact that it's necessary for our assurance means that it's very easy to focus on it, to focus on obedience in and of itself, for its own sake, and just be obsessed with it almost, right? To just think all the time about our behavior. Um, I've got to prove I'm really a Christian. I've got to do what Christians do. I feel bad when I don't do that. I feel okay when I do that. So I've got to focus on my behavior. That's where my focus has to be. Uh, But that focus, that emphasis, it forgets that Christianity is first and foremost about the relationship that we have with God by his grace through Jesus Christ. Obedience is a fruit of that. It's a fruit of that relationship. So obedience isn't the main thing. The relationship is the main thing, right? That makes sense that obedience is not the main thing, even though it's necessary and you've got to see it and you can look at it uh, and, and say, yeah, yeah, things are going right here because of this. It's not the main thing. The relationship is the main thing. If obedience is an indicator of the reality of that relationship and you want very badly to show the reality of that relationship, then you don't focus on the indicator. You focus on the relationship. You focus on the connection. And then once that's real, the indicators will be there. It'll be pick up the rock and drop it, and it'll fall, <laughs> right? Focus on the relationship. So the starting point, the, the heart, the nexus, the path to true obedience as a fruit of our salvation, the path, the nexus of it is not a constant fixation on our own behavior. It's not learning tricks or setting up traps for yourself to do the right thing. It's not doing the right thing by any means necessary at whatever cost. It's not that. It's actually having a personal relationship with God by faith. That's the nexus of our true obedience. Actually having a relationship with God by faith in his grace, by faith in Jesus Christ. So the focus of someone who truly obeys God is not primarily on their obedience. The focus of someone who truly obeys God which is a relational activity, uh, the focus of that person is not on the obedience itself. It's not on their behavior. 
the ordering principle of an obedient life, the thing that ties everything together in your life so that you will walk increasingly as Jesus walked, ties everything together in love and obedience. The thing that transforms you from the inside out is knowing God, not just knowing about God, knowing God. Not just knowing God intellectually, not just knowing information about him, but personally and delightedly knowing and communing with him by his grace. Enjoying that relationship. So if you look at your obedience, if you look at your obedience and you wonder whether it really reflects a spiritual relationship, um, then in order to address that issue, you've got to address the spiritual relationship, not just the behavior. It's like a Band-Aid if you do that. Um, So do you actually know him? Do you actually have a relational connection with him? That's the question you've got to ask. That's a critical question to ask yourself, especially if you're not seeing the fruit of obedience in your life. If you're not seeing in yourself the things that kind of should start to characterize people who are in relationship with God, you've got to ask yourself about your relationship with God, not just the behavior. Um, at my office down the hall uh, from my office is a counselor who um, he's, a, he's a Mormon and I think he's got, I don't know if it's kind of a pseudo official uh, counseling relationship with the Mormon church. He sees a lot of Mormons. Um, Mormons are very interested in obedience. They're very interested in their behavior. Right? Um, and this counselor down the hall he, his primary function, it seems like, with most of the people, that, from, from the way he's communicated it to me, is to try to get them to stop certain behaviors. Just to stop certain behaviors. Uh, especially things like pornography, overeating, smoking, uh, nail-biting, things like that. To stop certain behaviors that are generally, you know, uh, not acceptable in the Mormon church. Um, and it's a, it's a behavior change by any means, paradigm. Behavior change by any means whatsoever. Uh, Whatever you've got to do to stop, you do it. So there's this treatment that he uses that's called aversion therapy. Aversion therapy. And basically, it means that whenever you do whatever behavior it is that you want to stop, that you want to change, focused on that behavior, you got to stop that behavior. Whenever you do that, you spray this nasty stuff in your mouth or spray it up your nose. And then the association, the unpleasant association then that that activity has with this nasty stuff in your mouth is what will eventually make you stop. That's how you get a dog to stop peeing on the carpet. That is not how a human being who's created in God's image for relationship with God uh, grows in obedience. That's not how we change our behavior. We grow in our obedience by diving deeper into God, deeper into God's grace, by saturating our hearts and our minds with the gospel, by going back to the nexus, the core, right, the generator of obedience, which is that relationship that we have with him by his grace. Spraying something in your mouth or disconnecting your internet, setting up external circumstances for yourself so that your behavior will go this way instead of this way, 
whatever other behavior modification programs you implement, they don't touch your heart. They, they don't go to the root. They don't go to the true nexus of what real obedience is, right? But if you address the nexus, the personal, spiritual relationship with God, the effects of that will spread inevitably, inexorably, necessarily, increasingly into every part of your life and your obedience. It says in verse 6, By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the main thing is to abide. That word means to to dwell like you would in a house uh, and to remain. Abiding is the main thing. And Jesus talks about it in John 15. uh, Again, a beautiful chapter in John's gospel. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. It's kind of a is that horticultural reference uh, growing grapes you've got the vine and you've got a branch and if that branch is not connected to the vine it's obviously not going to get the nutrients it needs the nutrients the life that it needs to bear the fruit that it's supposed to bear right as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me i'm the vine you're the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if you're not abiding in him, then good luck bearing the fruit you're supposed to bear. It's not going to happen. But if you do abide in him, you will bear fruit because of the relational nature and the necessity of true obedience. So guilt-tripping people doesn't help with their obedience. Always talking about behavior doesn't help with your obedience. Only abiding in God through Jesus Christ helps with your obedience. Helps you to bear the fruit that you're supposed to bear. Uh, That's why I don't get up here and give you ten things to do this week and every week. That's why I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ every week to get you abiding in him, and he in you. It says in 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 2, that when he appears, Jesus, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So this is talking about uh, the end of time, the end of the world, when the world is made new and we're brought into relationship with God Uh, visibly, tangibly, immediately, forever into his presence, and we're transformed in the twinkling of an eye, like Paul says. Um, When he appears, we shall be like him. That means at least, you know, walking as he walked. We will be changed. Our behavior will be changed. Everything about us will be changed when he appears because we shall see him as he is. That's what it says. So the singular, you look at this over the arc of uh, history, the history of the universe, the singular most effective transformational event in our lives, the thing that changes us most completely, absolutely completely and thoroughly, the thing that changes us the most from the inside out, the point where 
supreme, absolute, permanent change takes place in us, the point when we're instantly made like Jesus to walk as he walks is when we see him. It's when we see him face to face. And that will happen finally and perfectly when we enter into his presence in eternity. It's either when we die and we see God or when he returns and we see him. But that happens at least partially, but truly. At least partially, but truly, when we enter his presence, um, when we see him now. When we see him now, when we perceive and understand and know relationally, when we know him as he truly is, which is what his word sets forth for us. It's what the gospel says to us. Here's Jesus. And that changes us. And here, John sets him forth as our advocate. Right? He says uh, he's our advocate. He's the one who pleads on our behalf with the Father. It's kind of a legal term. It's a courtroom term. He's like our defense lawyer right? in the Father's presence now and always. He doesn't plead our innocence. He doesn't uh, cite mitigating circumstances. He doesn't ask for lenience in the judgment that stands against us. Right? He fully acknowledges all of our disobedience, all of our real guilt before God, but he pleads his own righteousness in our place. Jesus Christ, the righteous, it says, Jesus Christ, the righteous, offers his own righteousness, his own obedience to God for us on our behalf so that we can find the same acceptance by God that Jesus Christ, the righteous, deserves. So that we can enjoy the same relationship with the Father that Jesus Christ the righteous enjoys. And it says in verse 2, he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So this is the ultimate assurance. I mean, you want assurance that you, that you really are accepted in God's sight. Look at Jesus. He, he is the ultimate assurance that we have of our relationship with God. God gave up his only son to die the death that we deserve to die under his anger. That's what it means that he's a propitiation so, so that he would deal with God's anger with us for being the rebels that we are. Right? He would absorb it. He would turn away God's anger from us as he took it on himself so that our disobedience, our rebellion, it would no longer stand against us. It would no longer stand between us and God as a barrier. Right? And it said in uh, Isaiah 53, which Matthew read this morning in our Old Testament reading, talking about his sacrificial death. It's, a, it's an amazing passage, Isaiah 53. It says, his soul makes an offering for guilt. The righteous one shall make many to be accounted righteous, bearing their iniquities. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, but it wasn't for his sin. He bore the sin of many. He makes intercession for the transgressors. So look at Jesus. Look at who he is. Look at what he did for you, what he's still doing for you, because he's your advocate right now in heaven on your behalf. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the sacrifice. Jesus Christ, your advocate. He's the one who guarantees your relationship, your real knowing of God by his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, his continuing presence as, as the one who intercedes for us with God. As it says in Hebrews 7, talking about his priesthood, he's the go-between, 
between us and God. He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for, the, for them. We sing about that uh, frequently in several of our songs, but there's a, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look to see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Sing about that. Um, Jesus' presence in heaven. He's before the throne of God above. He's before God for us as our advocate right now, the one who intercedes for us. So Jesus' constant perpetual presence with the Father is the great reminder at the heart of all reality. He stands at the heart of all reality, and he's the reminder that he has lived for us, his righteousness is ours, and that he died for us, our unrighteousness, our disobedience, our sins were paid for in his death. So you're not worthy of that. You don't deserve that. But you have an advocate. And now, by God's grace, your relationship with God, because of Jesus, is characterized by joy and love and peace. And that's true because God chose not to be without you. God chose not to be without you because he set his love on you. He wanted to be in relationship with you. And he made that possible. Even though you're disobedient, even though we're all rebellious by our nature as sinners, even though it would cost him the life of his own son, he chose it. And that's the kind of good news that changes you from the inside out. It's reflecting on that in prayer and meditation. That's what brings transformation into your life. It's knowing him. It's abiding in him. Uh, Is what wins your loving obedience to him. So if you want to be transformed, look at Jesus. If you want to be transformed, if you want your behavior to change, (laughs) to prove that you have a relationship with God, have a relationship with God. Look at Jesus. Behold Jesus. Contemplate God's grace to you in him. Delight in him. Dwell on your relationship with God through him. Pray in his name. Talk about him. Come to church to hear about him. Read a good book about him. Obviously, read the scriptures. Get him in front of you all the time. Work on your relationship with him as often as you can. Abide, remain, dwell in him. That's, after all, the whole point of being a Christian. That's what Christianity is about. Uh, And that's the only way to bear the true fruit of obedience. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word, um, all of us here realize that um, to some degree this doesn't make sense to us, to some degree it hasn't made sense to us, and we've prayed already that you would help it to make sense to us, that you would have given us clarity about your word this morning as we've heard it, but um, we need the help of your spirit now and always for the truth about your gospel, the simple truth about our relationship with you by grace alone. 
Um, we need that to go deeper into our hearts and to change us from the inside out. Uh, we want that to happen. And so we pray for it. We pray that you would uh, enter into our lives in a deeper and greater way, that you would renew our hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ that we've just heard and uh, that we should dwell on always, that you would keep our eyes fixed on Christ so that uh, truly we would be able to uh, know you, really know you, and be assured of our relationship with you in a way that changes our lives. Uh, not just so that we can look at our obedience and say, oh, finally, we feel good about it, but uh, to know that we know you. We pray that you would make that true for us in Christ's name. Amen.